we started a new series called Family Matters. If you weren't able to be with us, I want to recap what we talked about last Sunday, but I encourage you, you can go online, you can stop by our media kiosk, and uh, we'd love for you to hear last Sunday's message as well. But, but we, we've begun this series in looking at what God says regarding relationship. And everything, if you look, everything in God's Word, it really does have to do with having a right relationship, right relationship first with Him, our vertical relationship, and then also right relationship with others, our horizontal relationships. And, and it's easy, listen, it's easy to, to misconstrue what God's heart is and what God's plan is, and in that, become convinced that He is this, this taskmaster. And yet it's not the case. In fact, one of the most misunderstood portions of Scripture is the concept of the Ten Commandments because people look at this and think this is God saying, do do this, don't do this, rules and regulations. When in fact, even the Ten Commandments, those things that we know as thou shalt not, it's safeguards that God has given us within the context of healthy relationship with Him and healthy relationship with one another. Last Sunday, we talked about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it, it repositions us for right relationship with God, and, and how easy it is for things to come into our life that will dominate us, that will distort us, and ultimately, if we're not careful, will destroy us. And this is what God says. He says, do not have any other gods before me, because anything in your life, listen, anything in your life that you allow to have a higher priority than God, it's gonna be a pressure point for you, it's gonna be a stressor for you. And God wants us to walk not in pressure, God wants us to walk not in stress, God wants us to walk not in anxiety, but what God wants is He wants us to walk in freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, His Word declares. And so God wants us to walk in right relationship with Him and right relationship with others. And He doesn't want us to walk in bondage. He wants us to walk in freedom. So th- th- this morning, we're going to continue to look at this concept of, of what relationship should look like, what it should look like in, within the context of our church family, what it should look like in the, in the context of our nuclear family or our, or our biological family. Because God wants the relationships in our life to work because He always has been and always will be a relationship God. So here's what we find. We find this in Exodus chapter 20. God gives us this directive. He says, you shall not make any idols. You must never bow down to an image or worship it in any way. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would allow it to be a light unto our path, God, that it be a lamp to our feet, God, that it would be the beacon that moves us, guides us, and guards us. We commit all these things to you. We thank you and we praise you for it. In the precious and the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I know this. I know that the Ten Commandments, that they're referred to as the Ten Commandments. In reality, They are designed to be one complete statement. God says, this is the guideline for you for living in right relationship, right relationship with me and right relationship with others. And and the first three of the Ten Commandments have to do with our vertical relationship, the relationship between us and God. And they really need to be looked at as one complete unit. For, for, for the sake of time and, and, and just for opportunity, we are looking at each one of these individually. But really, p- 
parts one, parts two, and part three really flow together as, 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 as one unit. And here's what God says. He says this, do not have anything as a higher priority in your life than your relationship with me. Do not have any other gods before me. Don't allow people, don't allow processes, don't allow entities, don't allow philosophies to have a higher place in your life than the connection that you and I have. And, and, and as you're navigating this, be careful not just with people, also be careful as it relates to stuff. Because just like people can dominate us, stuff can dominate us as well. Entities can dominate us as well. It's vital, God says, that we have an understanding of who He is, and even in how we acknowledge His name, that we reverence who He is properly, because the relationship that we have with God, the connection that we have with God, it will be what determines the health, the depth, and the impact of every other relationship that we have. And so God says, do not have any other gods before me. Don't allow anyone or anything to have a higher priority, priority in your life than me. And also, don't, don't do this. Don't allow stuff to dominate you. Exodus 20 says, do not make any idols. You must never bow down to an image or worship it in any way. Now, you may recall uh, last Sunday, we talked about that the decisions that we make are decisions of the mind, the will, and the emotion. The heart, the mind, and the will. Uh, in fact, we looked at Proverbs 3 tells us that we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Being in right connection, being in right alignment with God, it starts with the heart. It all starts with the heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because, listen, the heart is where it originates. I'm not sure why this keeps crackling. Um, the, the heart is where it originates. But we then go from the heart to this issue of intellect, this issue of the mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, right? It's real easy to get caught up um, in unhealthy thought. It's real easy to get caught up uh, in, 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 in divergent teaching. It's easy for that to, to seep into our life. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get rid of this microphone. Now, I, I gotta tell you, this will absolutely throw me off uh, because I, I'm one of those guys that I talk with my hands and now I'm not sure what to do with this. And so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna navigate this, but this will be fine. You know what I do need? I need, I need this. Do we have a, do we have a mic? I'm, can, I, can I take this? Look at this, here's a microphone stand over here. Hopefully it's not attached to anything significant. See what I can, see what I can break here. There is, there's stuff attached, there's a, that's a camera. So, watch this, this text guy. So for those of you that are guests this morning, for those of you that are here for the first time, the first time in a long time, I've often heard this said, that if something is flawless, it's fake. We are obviously not fake. Let me just point that out to you. Thank you. Okay, we'll see how, but, but let me tell you now how this, how this is going to just wreak havoc on me today, because uh, those of you that have been around, you know this, that it's tough for me to stand and just, this isn't going to work. I'm just going to hold this. Because I have to move, I have to move when I talk, and I don't even know why that is, right? I'm not sure why it is that I have to move and talk, but I do. I have to, I, I have to, I have to move when I talk. Let's get back to talking about idols, shall we? So, 
So God's word tells us this. It says, it says do, not, do not make these things. Do not, do, not, do not make idols in your life. It's fascinating to me that God gave this instruction. Moses wrote the book of Exodus in about 1400 B.C., all right, and there are some scholars that want to debate that, but the reality is this. About 1400 B.C. is when the book of Exodus was written, and this is, this is about the time uh, that God gave Moses these instructions or these commandments when Moses went up on the mountain and met with God. As, as God was giving these commands to Moses, at the very same time, the children of Israel who had experienced God in a very dramatic way deliver them from bondage and slavery in Egypt and take them to the edge of the promised land at the very moment where God is saying, do not have any other gods before me, do not make any idols, do not bow down to them, do not worship them. What was happening was God's people at the base of the mountain went to Aaron, Moses' brother, and says this, hey, Moses went up on the mountain, he's been gone in a long time, we don't know if he's coming back, uh, we might be in trouble. How about this? How about you make us an idol that we can worship? And so scripture tells us that Moses' brother Aaron, he, he makes this idol, this golden calf, and when Moses comes down from the mountain with these commandments that say, do not make for yourself any idols, God's children were dancing around a golden calf. Now, if that's not messed up, I don't know what is. And so, obviously, when God had Moses bring this commandment down, God knew what he was doing because it was something that was in the heart of people to get sidetracked by false gods and to embrace false imagery. But it, it wasn't just in 1400 BCE. Here's what we know. We know this. If, if, we, if we fast forward a few centuries later, in about 1100 BC, God appears before this guy by the name of Gideon. And here's what God says to Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God had chosen Gideon to be the individual that would lead Israel into victory over the Midianites, which was no small task because these people, the Midianites, the Bible says this. It says they were, they were as vast as locusts. And, and uh, the Israelites, God's people, were in, uh, under such oppression that when the story of Gideon begins, here's where we find Gideon. We find Gideon hiding in a wine press to thresh wheat because every time the Israelites would have any produce, every time they, they, would, they, would, they would create anything, the Midianites would come down and swoop and attack them and take it. So Gideon is living in massive fear. His people are living in significant oppression. It's not going well for God's people. And so God speaks to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, oh yeah, really God? If you're with us, then why has all this happened to us? Now, it's easy, listen, it's easy when we're going through challenges, when we're going through difficulties, it's, it's really easy to go, okay, God, you promised this, but if we continue to read the story of Gideon, we have a really good understanding of why the children of Israel are going through the difficulty that they're going through. Because here's what happens. Once Gideon is convinced that indeed it is God who's speaking to him, he does two things. Number one is he makes a sacrifice. He offers a sacrifice to God. And then what he does is he goes home. 
Scripture tells us this, that he, that he goes to just outside of his father's house. But it's not just his father's house. In, 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 in Hebrew culture, what they did is they lived in what's called an insular. It would be kind of like a commune. And so the family you had, the father lived in one portion of the insular. And then as his children got older and married, they would just basically build on to the house. And so Gideon lived in, in part of this compound in, which his, in, in, in his father's household. And outside of the place, the house of the individual who God said, I'm going to use you to be the leader of my people. I'm going to use you to be the one that brings about victory over this oppressive army, the Midianites, right outside of the house, right outside of the front door, is this altar. And it's an altar to Baal, or sometimes you'll hear it pronounced as Baal, and then there's an Asherah pole, an Asherah pole that is is right beside it. So we see at the time that God speaks to Moses and gives these commandments that God himself writes on stone tablet, that the children of Israel have gotten sucked into this issue of idolatry. We know that God makes this command very clear, and yet we fast forward just a couple of centuries, and here we have we have God's people living in idolatry once again. We can go forward just a, a, a few more a few more years to the story of Elijah. Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah calls forth the king of Israel, a guy by the name of Ahab, who's married to a woman named named Jezebel. And the king of Israel has, as part of, as part of his kingdom, as part of his leadership team, he has 450 prophets to Baal and 400 prophets to Asherah. And so Gideon says, I want you to bring all those prophets up onto the top of Mount Carmel. We're going to settle this once and for all. I'm the one prophet that represents the one, two, the one true God. You bring your 850 prophets and we're going to figure this out. And as they gather up on top of the mountain, here's what, here's what Elijah says, both to the prophets and all the people who have come, in essence, to see the show. Elijah makes a statement to the people. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? Here's what he's referring to. When, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, right, in this time frame where they dance around the golden calf, When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, here's what he said to them. He said, listen, you were coming out of a land that it was oppressive, and you were coming out of a land that what came out of the ground was a result of the work of man's hands. Because Egypt, the way that Egypt watered their crops was through a massive irrigation system that they had created. Well, that they had used slaves to create. And God said, I'm taking you out of a place where Produce comes through the oppressive work of man's hands into a place where produce comes because of my faithfulness to you. And no longer will you be in a land where you're dependent upon the efforts of man for the crops to be watered, but I will bring the rain from heaven and I will water the crops. I will bring the rain in its due season. 
If you've ever been to this part of the world, if you've ever seen pictures, you fully understand that they are absolutely dependent upon the rains for the crops to grow. Israel is actually, it's a very, it's a very arid land. It's an area of a massive amount of desert, and Israel can go brown very quickly. And so rain is a very important thing. And God promised his children, just as he promises us, just as he's promised you, God says this. God says, I will supply your every need. I will supply your every need. Trust in me. And God's children, they trusted in him, but just in case, they also, they had the shrine to Baal or Baal. Because here's what Baal was. He was the false god or the Canaanite god of the weather. And so it, it, wasn't, a, it, it wasn't simply a, a, a purely a religious thing. It, it, it wasn't, hey, we, we, we worship this idol for the sake of this idol. It, it really was, in their minds, it was a, it was a disposition that was, that was really precipitated on this idea of survival. God, if we don't have rain, we are done for. And so, God, we're trusting in you, but we're also, we're going to make this shrine as an insurance policy. You know what? I have found that this is the case in my life as well. More often than I care to admit, I, I, I've, I've dealt with this issue of idols in my life. I, I've, known, I've known since I was 15 years of age, when I had this, just this radical experience with God, I've known uh, the reality of, of God's existence. Because he, he proved himself just incredibly real to me. I, I, knew, I knew at 17 years of age what it is that God um, had, had called me to do, what, what, my life, what my life focus was supposed to be, what my life purpose was to be, what my life mission was supposed to be. And, and I've seen God uh, miraculously provide. I've seen God miraculously deliver. I, I've seen God uh, uh, just miraculously give wisdom for the moment, re resource for each and every situation. And yet, I find myself regularly going, God, I trust in you and I trust in your promises. But God, just in case that doesn't work, I'm also going to hold on to this. God, I, I know what you've called me to do, but, but I've, got this, I've got this career as a backup. God, I, I know how you've called me to live, but but I've got this resource as a nest egg. God, I, I, know, I know whom you called me to do life with, but I'm going to hold on to this relationship mm, just in case. And an idol, an idol is anything that we give devoted focus to. An idol is anything that we allow to become a priority in our life. I've made, I've made career an idol. I, I've made position an idol. I, I've made all sorts of different things an idol. I, I've, made, I've made 
things idols. And it happens, listen, it happens in the church. It, it happens um, e- even with things that are good and, and, and valuable. Let me ask you a question. I need you to help me this morning. How many of you believe the cross is a good thing? By, by, by a round of applause, how, how many of you believe that the cross is something that, that should be, that should be a, a, a reverenced? <laughs> absolutely. It, it absolutely should. Here's what it should not be. The cross should not be worshipped. Let me say that again. The cross should not be worshipped. In fact, there are some that walked into church today and because there wasn't a cross on the stage. Now recognize this. 99% of the time you come to Calvary, there's a cross on the stage. But there are some who walked in today and there not being a cross on the stage, it irritated you. And it's easy, listen, it's, e- it's easy even for good things. It's easy for even godly things to become the center of our focus rather than simply a tool that God uses. And we will regularly and prominently display a cross here at Calvary. But friends, I can take you around the world to empty cathedrals that have a cross but no life. And here's what God wants. He wants us to not get caught up in those, in those little things that can distract us and discourage us. Because remember what I told you last week, that every decision that you make, it's a representation of your soul, the heart, the mind, the will, the heart, the mind, the will, the heart, the mind, the will. Trust and learn with all your heart, okay? It's all about navigating that issue of the heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, Allowing your mind to be shaped by God's truth. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. In everything that you do, in those decisions that you make, the decisions of the will, let God be in the center of that, and he will make your path straight. Notice when God tells us that we are to, that we're to not create any idols, we're not supposed to create any graven image, notice that it deals with the heart the mind and the will, the heart, the mind, and the will, the heart, the mind, and the will. Here's what it says. It tells us that if we allow influences in our life, what they do is they capture our mind. You shall not make, do not make for yourself. Don't don't allow this to come out of your thought process. Do not make for yourself. It's it's easy for our mind to go, well, this is the way it ought to be. This uh, This is the ideal. This is the iconography. It's easy for it to to control our will. You must never bow down to an image. It's easy for it to compromise our heart or worship it in any way because that's what idols do. The influence of idols, that's what they do. They capture our mind, they control our will, and they compromise our heart. Let me pause and, and ask you this question. What is it in your life, what it is in your day, what is it in your world today that has captured your mind? What is it in your journey that is master of the decisions that you make? Now, 
I know this, I, especially when we gather together with church folks, it's very easy for us to quickly give that Christianese answer and to say this, oh, let me tell you something, Jesus is the master of my life. In fact, I sang it this morning, Jesus be the center of my life. Let's talk about the idols for a moment. Can we do that? Because here's what I can promise you. I can promise you this, that if we were there in the wilderness during the time that Moses was up on on top of the mountain, the children of Israel would have said this, oh, make no mistake, there is but one God and Jehovah is his name and we worship him and we worship him only. This, this, This cow is not a big deal. Gideon, Gideon, if you would have asked Gideon's father, what God do you worship? What God do you serve? He would have said, I, there is but one God. Jehovah is his name, and I worship him. How about this? How about you explain this shrine that you have just outside of the front door of your house? Oh, that's no big deal. The children of Israel that were living in the time of Elijah, I can guarantee you that they were proud of their heritage. They could tell you the Exodus story. They could quote the promise that God made that said that he will send the rain. And yet Elijah had to ask them this question, how long will you vary between two opinions? And it's difficult for us to acknowledge, it's difficult for us to confess, but the simple truth is it is all too easy and much too frequent that we have idols in our life. Oftentimes they're not in the shape of a golden calf, sometimes they're in the shape of a little rectangle. In fact, some of you are going through a little bit of withdrawal right now, and you're you're just, you're, have you ever left the house without this? Let me ask you a question. If you left your house to come to church without your Bible, would you go back and get it? If you left your house without your phone, would you go back and get it? See, idols come in many shapes and sizes. How do we know if we have if we have idols in our life? They capture our mind. What is it in your life outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ that has captured your mind? Honey, make sure you DVR that. Look, I've got to make sure I can't miss that. If you and I were to have a conversation, the the conversation would quickly drift to that. Why? Because it's captured our minds. And it makes and it makes it makes an impact on our will. Why? Because it steals and compromises our heart. But here's, I want you to do this. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. In the the book of Isaiah, Isaiah writes just this powerful statement as it relates to the idols in our life. 
Uh, and here's, 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 here's what he has to say. He makes, he makes this statement. Uh, starting in verse 6 of Isaiah 44. And this is one, I, I, I want to I read this to you. Uh, I also want to do this. I, I want to challenge you to, to make note of this portion of Scripture. Because I want you to go back and revisit it. And I want you to go back and revisit it. I want you to revisit it with this question in your mind. God, what are, notice I didn't say are there, what are the areas in my life that if I were to be honest with you and honest with myself, has become an idol, has become a place of devotion, a place of focused attention. Here's what, here's what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 44, starting in the sixth verse. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. They, they who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works it with coals. He shapes an, an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter makes with a line measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form for all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It, it is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. See the fire. But from the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my god. Listen to what he says. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of this I use for fuel. I even break bread over it, bake bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate it. Really, I'm going to make such a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Here's what Isaiah says. He says this. We take even the things that God gives us, even the things that God gifts us with, and we'll take and, and, and we'll recognize, yes, this is wonderful provision. But even in that provision, we will use it to fuel things 
that rob us of our focus. Sir, that job that God has, 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 has in his favor has brought you to is an incredible thing. But that stock symbol is not to be worshipped. That corporate headquarters is not to be adored. Because that company is not your source. It is simply a resource. And God has the ability to cause it to rise or fall at his will. We, we, we find our identity in these things that are far too dangerous. And God says, don't do that. They will capture your mind. They will control your will. They will compromise your heart. And, and in that, the impact is it robs us of our strength. That's what it says there in Isaiah 44, 12. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. This chasing after idols, it robs us of our strength. It also, it wastes our resources. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. Ultimately, it distorts our understanding. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think, Isaiah 44 says. God has a different way. God has a different plan. And, and here's, what, here's what God wants for you. God wants you to live a life that is, that is absolutely fulfilling. Romans 10, 11 says this. Those who put their trust in God, those who put their trust in God alone, those who put their trust in God will never be put to shame. There's, there's a fulfillment that's found only in God. There's this misconception about why God is so adamant against idols. God makes a statement in Exodus chapter 20. He says this, do not make for yourself any graven image or any idol, any, anything that's fashioned by human hands. Don't, don't make it, don't, don't bow down to it, don't worship it, for I am a jealous, a jealous God. And it's easy to misunderstand, misunderstand that and, 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 and misinterpret it, okay? Uh, our God is a God without character defect, so God doesn't operate in vanity, but here's what he does do. He operates in wisdom because God understands this, that the form of idols doesn't devalue God. Listen, listen to what I just said. The, the creation of idols does not devalue God because, friend, there's nothing that you can do that will devalue God. Let me say that again. The creation of idols in your life does not devalue God. Because there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do that devalues God. So what does the creation of idols devalue? See, when, when, we, when we create something, okay, and we give it God-like value, here's what it does. It doesn't devalue God, it devalues us. Because God does not have a problem with something being made in his image. God doesn't have a problem with something being made in his likeness. 
How do we know that? Because God made you in his image. God made you in his likeness. And God doesn't want anything in your life to devalue the incredible thing that you are. And that's what idols do. They devalue you. They devalue you. Because it puts created things above you. It puts created things, even when we say, God, we worship you, but we also have this. It puts created things between you and God. There's nothing that you can create that could ever be put above God. But when we have idols in our life, what it does is it puts them, it puts this issue, it puts this thing between us and God. It creates this barrier between us and God. It's not devaluing God, but here's what it is. It's destroying the connection that we're supposed to have with him. That's the reason why God is so passionate about this. It's not about him. It's not about his ego. It's about life working for you. And make no mistake that here's what idols will do. Idols will always dominate you. They will always disappoint you. And if not dealt with, they will ultimately destroy you. Because they create this distance between you and God. And that's not God's heart. That's not God's plan. God's heart and God's plan is that there be nothing between you and him. We sang this song earlier. Jesus, be the center of my life. That really was the, the sermon in a song. Jesus, be the center of my life. It's all about you, God. It's all about you. From my heart to the heavens. Jesus, be the center. It's important this morning that we be really honest with God and that we be really honest with ourselves. And that we surrender to Him Those things in our life that are between us and between God. Because anything and everything that gets between us and God is an idol. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. 
Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.